Good morning. Okay, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day that we have. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. We ask, Father, that you will teach us by your word. And as you teach us, Lord God, may we take your word at heart and be obedient to it. And Father, I pray that you will just expound the word of God to us, Lord God, that we'll be able to be doers of your word. God, I thank you for this opportunity to just teach your word, Lord God. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord will say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before the pandemic, we had started a study on the great I am. Because we are now going to have to have those persons who are not here physically see this at another time to give continuity of thought, I will need to back up so that we can have a foundation for everybody to move as one. So, having said that then, what, why are we doing the topic of the great I am and who is the great I am? He is the Lord God Almighty. He existed all by himself. Nobody created him. He is the creator of all things. So, he will forever be the great I am. The phrase translated I am, who I am, in Hebrew, is the word, and I will spell it for those of you, E-H-Y-E-H. It is the first person common singular verb, which means to be. It would be used in a number of situations like I am watching the sheep, I am walking the road, or I am his father. However, when used as a standalone description, it means I am. It becomes the ultimate statement of God in regards to, but not limited to the following. It speaks to God's self-sufficiency. Secondly, it speaks to God's self-existence. God's existence and plans are not contingent upon any individual or any circumstance. It speaks to God's immediate presence. It speaks to almighty and all-powerful God. It speaks to God being a promise keeper. He will be to you what you need him to be. And the sixth one I'd like to say is God determined that he would be the eternal, constant God. He stands unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and to accomplish what he wills to accomplish. So this is a review for some of us that are on the, that's going to watch this by live stream as um, sorry, um, by recording, and then for some of us who were here while we taught it, just to give the context, we're going to back up into Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to go through the verses together. The first time it's meant. Now Moses was tending Exodus 3 verses 1 through 17. 
Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he had and he led the flocks to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So I want us to get a visual of this. The sight of a bush that's on fire, that is burning, but the unusual fact that it was not being consumed, it was not disappearing, it should disintegrate and it should get smaller. Even if the flame is bigger, the content that's being burned should be getting smaller. Then, if you saw a situation like that with a burning bush or a burning article that was not being consumed, it will trigger your curiosity. So the sight provoked Moses to be more interested and he, to take a more intense and careful examination of what he was seeing. What might have been some of the questions he wanted satisfied in his own mind? How is this bush burning and not being consumed? He might have asked, what is fueling this fire? Is this a gasoline-based fire? What, 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 what material causes it to burn like this? And then he might have said, why is this fire itself, the very nature of fire, is not behaving like a fire? So it's contrary to how a fire should be burning. So let's move on with the scripture in verse 5. It says, then he said, do not draw near this place. The Lord continues to speak. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid, for he was afraid to look upon God. So not only is there an unusual sight with a bush that is being burned, burning, but not being consumed, now there's an audible voice. Now, his, this is just adding to the mystery of his morning. He says, what's going on here? He hears his name, he looks around and he sees nobody, but he still sees the burning bush. So is this burning bush speaking as well? He might have thought so. So, he's, he, so let's look at what happened in this audible communication. Several things we want to notice. He was called by name. It didn't just say, excuse me, hello, who's there? He was called by his name that he knows himself. Moses, not once, Moses, twice. He was called by his name. Secondly, the Bible says the voice came out of the bush. Huh? So the voice came from the bush, but no human person was visible behind the bush or on the side of the bush. But within the bush, he has this voice coming at him. Then he was given a strange warning 
do not advance. Do not come any closer. Then he tells him to remove his sandals. So you hear a voice and then this voice starting to give you instructions. But because you don't know what's going on, me or you would have probably gladly started obeying it because we don't know what we're up to here. Right? So he takes off, but then it says why he was to remove his shoes. Because you are now, the voice describes the sight as holy ground. Huh? So then, God doesn't leave him though to wonder where this voice is coming from. God identifies himself from within the burning bush. He says, he tells him that he is the God of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, now when he realizes that he's in the presence of a mighty God, fear just wells up in him. I don't believe it was only the fear of nature being afraid in the natural, frantically afraid, but I also believe it was a fear of reverence, a reverential fear as well. So I believe he immediately kind of put himself in a posture to bow before God. So Moses could have thought he was daydreaming or imagining this event had it not been for the specifics that followed. So he saw the sight, he could have been dreaming. But when the voice came, he could have still been dreaming. But then the voice gave special instructions and made him aware of where he was. So verse 7 continues and it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So, here's now, He's wide awake. He knows that he's not dreaming because God begins to tell him some things. Now, of course, Moses would have been aware of the chosen people of God, the Israelites, being in captivity in Egypt. And then God tells about the situations that they were in, that they were being oppressed and they were being mishandled. And then God said, I have a plan. Hmm? I have a plan. So God was indeed aware of the oppression of the oppressive conditions in Egypt. He indicated that the oppressed were his people. They're not anybody out there. They're not no-named people or people who are just wanderers. God said the people who are in Egypt that are being oppressed belong to me, they're my people, and I, he, I am concerned about them, huh? And then he said he heard the people's cries, and sometimes I think 
we forget that God is attentive to the cries of his people. Right now, while we're going through this pandemic, don't just cry to each other. Cry unto God. He's waiting to hear our cry and to, and to respond to it. huh? So no matter what we're going to, we can cry to him. Because he said his heirs are ever inclined to the cries of the righteous. So God not only heard the cry, but he knew their sorrows and the afflictions that his children were going through. Then God told Moses his plan. God says he had come down to deliver the children. Now, I want you to underline those two words, down to deliver. Down and deliver. That was God's plan. He's coming down to deliver. He was going then, to, he also said, to bring them up to a determined and a prosperous place. Huh? So he said he would deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, verse 8, and bring them up from the land, from that land, to a good and a large land. So God is going to do two things. He's going to come down and deliver, release them from their oppression, and then he's going to relocate them. And it's going to be an upward movement. Okay? So we need to take note of that. And it wasn't going to be like, okay, I'm not quite sure where they're going to move to. When God moves with a plan, he knows exactly what he is doing. So, a couple of things about the place. It will be a place up above, not under. He's going to bring them from down to up, right? And it says that the place where they'll go to will be a large land. That's one thing to note. But it said that there will be provisions there. He said there will be nourishment and abundance there. Uh-huh. Milk and honey. And he said that the land would be flowing with it. Okay, so there's not going to be any shortage. And that's, that's important, you know. Sometimes we forget that we may be going through a phase of lack. But we serve a God who owns everything and who is able to bring us up out of it. Hmm? And that's what we need to keep in a, the back of our minds at all times. And he said there would, the new place where he brings them up to will not only be large, it will not only be flowing with milk and honey, so there's nourishment in abundance, but he says there will be a place of freedom. He said it will be a place where they would be free from oppression. So the Egyptians would not be able to oppress them any longer. So it is obvious so verse 10 says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, Moses was paying close attention. First, he heard God said, He will come down and he will deliver the people. Now God is saying to Moses, Come, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh. Now, me and you, if you thought he had fear, just seeing the sight of the burning bush and hearing the voice coming out of the bush, 
he knew what Pharaoh was like in all of his evil ways. So now you are being sent to, to the tyranny who was already oppressing the children of Israel. And God is saying to this man, you could be the one who's going to do it for me. I think he might have been tempted, if he was anything like us, to say, well, God, you say you was going to deliver them. How come now you're asking me? I'm no match for this evil Pharaoh. But it is obvious that Moses detected that shift in speech. For God was now putting the responsibility in Moses' hand. But actually, what God was actually doing was allowing Moses to be engaged in his plan. I don't know what God's plan is for us for next week or next month, but I know one thing, it will work better if we are engaged in God's plan as opposed to us coming up with our own plan and asking him to bless it, or we come up with our own plan and God is not included in it. We always would be in a better place if we cooperate or engage in God's plan. So evidently, God would accomplish his plan through Moses. Unknowingly, Moses' present state was right now kissing with his predetermined destiny. The purpose why Moses was on earth. Remember what his name means, deliverer. The purpose why he was even here on the earth was for the same task. And this is the time God is putting the two together. Okay? But... Let's see what happens in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he, we see that he wasn't excited about this new shift or plan that God had. And he was intimidated to go to face the evil king. And me and you have been faced with similar situations and predicaments, and perhaps we would want to have taken another option. But let's look. How does this impact our obedience to following scriptures when God sends us to do certain things? I want to move to a New Testament scripture for a minute. Matthew 5, verse 43 and 48 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your neighbors, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those, things, those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than the others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So I read that scripture to, to say sometimes God gives us very specific things 
They're not easy to do, but he commands us to do them. So our place is to be obedient followers. He told us to love your neighbor. Thou shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies, what you would have said. But he's changing it for them. He says, verse 44 says, but I tell you to love your enemies. Now, that, that's not always easy because they cause feelings to rise up in us. And our natural tendency is to say they um, disrespect or disregard me. I put myself to that no more. And we want to go on our own tangent. But God tells us to bless those who curse us. Do good to the people who we know hate us. Look, what happens in the end is going to be God's responsibility after we do the obeying part. You know? And some situations maybe haven't turned around because we weren't prepared to obey what God was saying to us. Okay? Another one I want us to... to you want to jot down is Luke 6 and 35 similar it says but love your enemies do good and lend hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the most high for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil you want to jot down also Matthew 5 38 to 40 and so I want to pick back up in Exodus where we left off in verse 12. It says, so he said, verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And verse 12, God answers, so he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God assures Moses, Moses, I'm sending you to do this, but I am going to go with you. You're not going alone. You're not going to have to figure out the way. I'm going to be there with you. Now, if you and I, were ever assured of one thing is that God keeps his promises. If he said he's going to be with us, then that is what it is. And I just want to remind you, even in a pandemic, your God has already promised to be with you. He said, lo, Matthew, the end of Matthew, the last couple of verses, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So today, no matter what you are facing, even in this pandemic, God is with you. His name, you know, most of the time we only read it at the Christmas time and we say his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. That's what that means. So I want us to not sit trying to figure out things on our own, to realize that God is with us. And that means that we could look to him for direction because he's what? An all-wise and an all-knowing God. So we don't have to wing it, so to speak. We have all the answers available to us. Are we prepared to petition him, to ask him, 
to show us, ask him to guide us, ask him to lead us, and let us be like how you say, well, God, if you don't go with us, then I am moving from here. God, I need your direction. Show me which path to take. May God help us to get to that point where we are aware of his presence and we depend on his direction. Okay? Because you could be in a room and people could be given direction. You're supposed to be writing it down or give you a map to follow. But it's up to you then to take um, advantage of those. Right? So just let's be conscious that he is with us. And he's the all-powerful, all-knowing God that is available to us. So God assures Moses of his presence and promise of him fulfilling the task. So here what God says to him. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And then he said, this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God in this mountain. So he's in a now time just giving him this instruction, but he also gives him right up front the end of what it's going to be. It's not going to be you could get lost or you may not make it. He told him, when you come out, you're going to serve God in this mountain. So he's telling him, you're going to be successful in this mission. Do you agree? Yes. So he says, much. So, like Moses then, after you've heard your word, much like our faith journey today, God expects us to embark, embark upon his instructions with faith and full confidence and act as, as, as if it has already happened. So there's no need then to be timid. You're going not realizing, um, not depending on your strength alone, but on the strength of God. But I love the fact that while he was in a place of questioning and fear and uncertainty and having to face this evil king, God gives him an assurance that his end, what his end would be. And sometimes God chooses to do that. So right then, if he says, when I come out, I'm going to serve you on this mountain, that means I'm coming out. Okay? So then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? That was a reasonable question, huh? So Moses says, You're sending me to take this message. So when I reach there and I tell them that their God sent me, and they asked, what's his name? What must I say? And this is where the basis of our study on the great I am is going to come from. Things that you're going to read and reread over and over until it becomes a part of us so that we can know who the I am is in our life. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but he is whatever you need him to be. When you need peace because you're confused, and distraught, he will be your peace. He is the I am. I am Jehovah Shalom. Okay? And so forth and so on. When you are short of supplies, he is going to be the I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Okay? So 
let's look at how God responds to him in verse 14. God says, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. So the I am has sent me to you. So God is patient with Moses and declares himself as the I am. And that is his name forever. Just as his name is forever, so is his character, his justice, his mercy, and his love. He alone remains faithful in all situations. So, um, as we go on, um, Verse 16 says, go and gather the elders of Israel, God given Moses instructions. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. So one of the greatest lessons we can learn today is that we can boldly declare what God says because he will always back up his word. When God identified himself as I am who I am, he stated that no matter when or where, he is there. And that's what we need to really imprint on our hearts and on our minds, that the I am is there. He is there to the wherever we are. So, it is very similar, I want us to turn to the New Testament, Revelation 1 and 8 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You're not going to get lost when you're attached to this permanent type of God. Huh? He is a God who transcends. He's not only dealing with a small period of time. He, nothing we do changes his ability to be there. Okay? So I want us to think of that. So he's the Alpha and the Omega at all times. This is true of him for all time. It would be, it would have been especially appropriate for a message in Moses' day when the people were in slavery and who could see no way out. The I am 
was promising them a place, a, a, a path to freedom, and they knew that they could count on him because they've had previous encounters with him and saw him do things on their behalf. So as, as, as he went to the people and they said, and he said he's coming to speak on behalf of God, and they says, well, who is this God you're coming to? When they said the I am, or they linked him to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew right away who was that God. That was not the God that was made out of stone or wood that had to be carried from place to place. They knew immediately that that was the almighty God who was able to do whatsoever he declared that and wanted to do and that he would bring them to a place of safety. He would be a God who would stand by his word. So Moses and Aaron delivered the message to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold the festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh replied, who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. This is found in Exodus 5, verses 1 and 2. Pharaoh's being very arrogant. He is king, but he is saying, I don't know your God, and I'm not checking for him. Boy, people better be careful when they take those type of positions. It's almost like you putting yourself in opposition to God, and guess what? God will always win. Hmm? So Pharaoh was not willing to concede that there was a power higher than himself. He was not willing to yield his plan to the one who was what? All-powerful and all-sufficient and not dependent on Pharaoh or anything Pharaoh could get. Pharaoh actually was breathing. The breath that he breathed belonged to God. Hmm? And God ain't like Wendy Cash because he'd have take snaps to breath right out of his body and let him fall down right there and there. Hmm? So there seems to be a challenge in every generation. We will recall the many trials and plagues Pharaoh and the Egyptians suffered needlessly as God established who will prevail. God will always win. God is the great I am. But we continually want to be our own I am. Do you know that we do that? We may recognize and say, unquote, that he is the great I am, but we still try to be in charge of our own lives, not to submit to him. We want to call all the shots, but we say we belong to him. You know, we get a little confused and mixed up. He's looking for us to acknowledge him as the great I am and to let his plans prevail in our lives. So sometimes we even need to dethrone self. Don't allow ourselves to be in charge. Let's go to God and ask him what he will have us to do at any given time and space. And that we recognize that we are weak, but he is powerful. 
So as we study, it is my prayer that we will all resolve to relinquish the reins to our lives and to, to the master's purpose and plans with the realization that indeed he is the great I am. So we'll stop there for today. It's six minutes to 11 and we'll pick up next week in the will of the Lord. So God bless you and may you be aware of the great I am with you this week. God bless you.